Hey, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kent Woodrow. I'm the Next Generation Pastor here at Holy Cross. Uh, when Bailey was praying for Brian, he was praying for our interim pastor. And uh, the Lord hears us, right? And I'm just going to harass you about it. So, you know. Hey, uh, I'm going to give you some time to turn to the book of Habakkuk because this is it. We've been, whenever I've been up here, we've been working through the book of Habakkuk and we have come to the last few verses. In some sense, it's, it's one of the more beautiful passages of scripture um, because of the journey that we've been. It's been a long journey. And I, I don't know about you, how much you knew about the book of Habakkuk before we dig, started digging into this. But I've come to love this book. I've come to love the prophet and how he wrestled with the Lord. So just a quick overview of where we've been in the book of Habakkuk, right? So Habakkuk moves from this, from, from this position of angst and confusion, uh, these how and why questions, and, and probably a little bit of anger about what he's seeing in, among God's people. And then it gets in, he descends into further confusion as he hears the Lord's response to what the Lord intends to do with the wickedness and evil that he sees, how, how God intends to deal with that evil. And Habakkuk essentially cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, you are a, a pure and a holy God. So how can it be right to send wicked Babylonians on an invading warpath into my people, into my country, when they're just gonna take credit for everything? And they're gonna think that they've not only exalted themselves over God's people, but over you, Lord. How can that be right? You feel this confusion? We've walked through that, right? And the Lord responds to Habakkuk and he says, trust me, trust me. I'm the mighty and merciful king. My kingdom plan has not changed. The Babylonians will get their due in due time and the earth will be filled with my glory. As the waters cover the sea, I've got this, trust me. And so we end the book of Habakkuk and we get to the prophet who is, who's waiting. He's waiting quietly, humbly, and patiently on the Lord. Get this. He's not resigned. He's not sitting there waiting in a resigned kind of attitude. Because friends, uh, how many times have you waited on the Lord, and been confused, and had to wait on his answer, and you're kind of like, oh well. He's God, he's gonna do what he's gonna do, I can't influence that, and I'm just resigned. It's not Habakkuk. How's he waiting? We're gonna find out here in in a few verses, but he's rejoicing, and that should shock you, right? Because is that what you would expect by the time you work all the way through this book, that you'd come to the end and Habakkuk would be dancing for joy? Is that how you would respond? Because let's be honest, right? Like we all struggle with joy, don't we? All struggle with joy. It's okay to admit it. Um, We all kind of intuitively know that what it must be like to feel joyful and and to to live into a joy-filled life. And to a greater or lesser extent, we all pursue joy, right? We want joy and it always, always feels somewhat out of reach, if not like totally unattainable. And then you see somebody like Habakkuk, 
who faced with the prospect of losing everything, you find him dancing for joy, like one of the verbs here is uh, better translated, dancing for joy. So how does Habakkuk get there? Would you like to know? How does he get there? How, how, how could we get there? And can I tell you something that you may find hard to believe? This kind of joy, this kind of joy that dances in, in the midst of crazy tribulation, the Lord wants this for you too. So setting that up as context, would you stand as together we read of the word of God and hear how our Lord moves toward us and would give us his joy. Habakkuk, chapter three, starting in verse 17, we're gonna get to the end of the book today. You got the passage in your bulletins or else it's behind me on the screen here. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, or the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He has made my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Friends, it's the true word of the living God. He gives it to you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Father, I don't, I don't know every story here, but I do know we all want joy. Maybe we're in a season where we feel okay, or maybe we're just struggling to hold on right now. You, Lord, can speak to every heart, and I pray that you would. Would you open our hearts to receive your word? Would you plant it deep in us? Would you, would you transform us? Let us see you so that coming away from this time, we can rejoice. We can, we can leave here with hearts full, having seen our God. Jesus, would you change us? I pray this in the power of your Holy Spirit, for the glory of the Father, and in your good name, Savior. Amen. Go ahead, grab a seat. So those are our guiding questions today, right? As, we, as we're trying to unpack joy, as we're trying to understand joy, we essentially, we're working through two things. What is joy? What is it? And then how do you get it, right? How do you get there? And under that, like, okay, well, how does one live joyfully? Okay, so what is joy and how do you get it? So let's, let's start digging into what true joy is. Here's, here's why this is important. We're gonna, we're gonna start with what joy isn't. And here's why. Because I believe we human beings are hardwired to seek joy. The trouble is we're misdirected. Our own hearts misdirect us. We end up looking for joy anywhere and everywhere but where it can actually be found, right? So we gotta we got unpack that. We gotta think through that, all right? Uh, and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at five different things, five different places where joy is not according to Habakkuk, okay? And he, here's my invitation to you, okay? Um, the reason we do things like this is to, to match our hearts up against the word of God. Because I guarantee you, odds are, you are probably leaning on one of these five things to provide you with a substantial amount of your joy, if not all of it, okay? So examine your heart. As we work through this, 
where's, where's Jesus pushing on you? So that he will draw you away from what doesn't bring you joy to where joy is actually found, okay? So that's what we're gonna do. All right, so first thing that where uh, joy isn't, well, joy isn't in having all the answers, right? We get to the end of, of Habakkuk and notice he doesn't start rejoicing because he's gotten all the answers he was hoping for. Let alone like just all the answers, period. So let me ask you, are you waiting on answers in order to experience joy? See, I think a lot of us, at least some of us, think like, if I only knew what would happen at X, Y, or Z, fill in the blank, right? If I only knew, then I could feel more joyful. I wouldn't have to worry about this or that or the other thing. Maybe then I could have peace and maybe then I could feel joy. Really? Like really, is that, is, that, is that what we're holding on to? Because let me ask you the question, right? How many answers have you received only to find yourself anxiously thinking about the next set of questions? Having all the answers doesn't give you joy. Habakkuk knew that. He wrestled with the Lord. Answers themselves don't satisfy, they don't provide joy. All right, so if answers don't provide joy, well, the most obvious uh, conclusion you can draw from verse 17 is possessions don't provide joy either, right? Joy isn't in our possessions. See, Habakkuk doesn't leave out just about anything in, in this list of ancient possessions here. Uh, uh, he, he, he lists trees and produce, like everything you could possibly rely on. It's like, if all this fails, I still have joy. If everything Literally everything is stripped away. I'll be dancing. It's crazy. Let me ask you this. How long is your wish list? How long is your wish list? What more do you need to add to life so that you'll feel contented or, or happy or joyful? How many more things do you need to collect dust on the shelves or in the basement, right? Because that's usually where things end up. Tell you what, if, if joy could be obtained by racking up Amazon one-click purchases, somebody would have done that already. You know that's true. Hey, let's just, let's just be honest, right? Like, we all know this, right? We all know the latest thing isn't gonna make you actually happy. You just don't know it. You just don't believe it. If your stuff were to disappear tomorrow, would your joy disappear? So joy isn't in having all the answers. Joy is not in having possessions. Joy actually isn't either in feeling control, right? Or that feeling of certainty, because that's really what we're looking to possessions and answers to provide, basically, is, is that sense of control, that sense of certainty. Um, ancient agrarian societies understood this, and those of y'all who are farmers here know it very well, especially in like the latest dry season we've had. Um, you have a very limited amount of control in food production. Very limited, right? Like you can follow all the best practices in planting and intending, and yet nothing will guarantee you a successful harvest. You know, you, you just don't have control 
And sometimes, as verse 17 says, your crops just don't yield. Sometimes, yeah, you just, we do not have control. So what about you? I think, honestly, what most of us probably associate with, with, with joy, because we're Presbyterians and all this sort of, is control. If we had control, we'd feel a little more joy, wouldn't we? Uh, so if, if, I could, if I could just manipulate my circumstance, if things could just go my way, then I could breathe a little more easily, right? Then, then I'd know I'd be okay. So let me ask you this. Does, does control actually make you more joyful or does it make you more neurotic, right? So think about those security cams that you've installed around your house or the, uh, the, tra- the apps that you use to track your kids. Does that actually make you feel more safe? Or are you neurotically like checking the apps? What's going on at home right now? Where are my kids? Yeah. If I'm honest, and maybe I'm just weird, um, the more control I have, the more neurotic I get. Maybe you feel that. So joy is in having answers, having possessions, having that sense of control and related to, to possessions, for joy isn't found in having that untouchable 401k or that pension plan or those solid investments. Joy isn't about setting up your future well, right? So fruit trees and, and cattle and all that sort of stuff, these were the ancient equivalents of a stock portfolio of, of investments because this stuff took a lot of work. You had to take care of these animals. You had to take care of these trees. And the reason you did that was because you were hoping for something from that. You were hoping for solid returns. You put a lot of work and effort into that in the hope that they would pay off. So are you postponing joy, hoping that it will find you when you retire? Are the long hours that you're logging now, are you hoping that those will one day be worth it when maybe one day you're sitting on a beach or at a cruise, on a cruise ship, right? hoping that finally you will be able to enjoy what you've stockpiled. So here's the question. What, where will your joy be if a recession hits? Where will your joy be when you got to walk into the cattle stalls and you find them empty? Or you open up your list of stock portfolios and you find them worthless. When those things disappear, will your joy disappear. All right, so finally, and this one actually may be the hardest one, I think, for us Americans to believe. Joy isn't found in achieving your dreams either. Joy isn't found in achieving your dreams. Uh, Hey, our Bible translations are awesome, okay? And I never want to make you feel like what you're not getting is the word of God. But there are some times when digging into the original languages, you just pick up on nuance, okay? Uh, And this is, verse 17 is one of the areas where this is helpful. Uh, It says, though the produce of the olive fail. Like if you were to translate that very woodenly, it sounds something a little more like this. Though deceitful, the works of the olive. Deceitful, that's that's a strange word to use for that, Um, but it's intentional. See, here's why. Olive trees mature very slowly. In fact, sometimes they could take up to 15 years before you'd start seeing any kind of fruit. 
And so when people planted them, they, they planted them a long time ago hoping for something. And they, they took a lot of care too. You had to tend these things, so you nurtured them, you cared for them. Um, and you were hoping in 15 years, maybe I'll get something. And olives weren't, were, they provided a rich yield because they were used for just about everything. You could use them as a food source. You could use them for cosmetic stuff. You could use them to light your home. So these things were super uh, important in the, uh, in the world in which Habakkuk lived, right? So what happens year after year after year, you're tending your olive tree and nothing, nothing. Deceitful. You've set your hopes on it and it doesn't deliver dream dies. Now it affects not only your livelihood, but all what you hoped for your kids, what you hoped you could pass on to your kids. You know what it's like to have a dream die? It's painful. So here's the question, like let's be honest with our hearts, right? What, what dreams are you waiting on? Waiting on that will hopefully deliver for you. Dreams that you're clinging to as your source of future joy. Hey, um, this is just a quick sidebar, and I think we have time to do this. Um, let's talk a little bit about marriage, right? Because a lot of us grow up, and we're, we tend to like think about marriage, tend to think it's going to be happening, and, and especially for you young people, listen to me. Um, don't invest everything in the dream of marriage, right? Because what happens if you don't get married? That happens. And you should be able to live a long and satisfying life apart from marriage. So don't, don't lean on that. If the Lord wants it for you, great, you've got an olive tree. If he doesn't, will, you, will your world be rocked? And, frankly, you're not guaranteed the marriage that satisfies you either, right? Like you talk to anybody who's been married for a while. A lot of us get into marriage hoping for satisfaction. But can I tell you something like God, God is less about your satisfaction in marriage and more about your sanctification in marriage. Marriage is about exposing your sins and about having those kind of paraded out in front of you and, and you changing and becoming more like Jesus, right? So just know that, especially young people as you're heading into this, marriage is a good thing. It is an olive tree. But is that where your joy is? that what you're leaning on to give you that, that sense of satisfaction? God cares more about your Christ-likeness than he does your comfort. All right, so joy ultimately isn't circumstantial. It's not, in, it's not in your stuff, right, or where you find yourself in life. So what is joy? What is it? Let's unpack that. Well, joy is a person. It's about being rightly aligned with a person. See, I think most of us tend to think of joy as having the circumstances of life rightly aligned, correctly? So uh, you can see this in Webster's uh, dictionary's uh, definition for joy. Joy is an emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one's desire. The circumstances of life are supposed to be rightly aligned, right? And yeah, you get tastes of joy from that. You do. Um, when, things, when things are aligning well, when life is functioning the way it was meant to function, you, you taste joy. Just a couple of random examples. Having a great bike ride or a good conversation with somebody. That moment when she says yes or like having a warm loaf of bread 
with that the crust and a good crumble, you know? Uh, watching, watching little kids play, driving out here in the valley as the sun is setting and watching it like hit the hay bales just right, like yesterday. You get, you get little tastes of joy. But they aren't joy themselves. These things aren't joy themselves. Joy is the one who gives you these tastes. Joy's a person. Joy's the Lord. And hey, I get it, right? That's such a Christian answer. You may be tempted to believe it's, it's trite. It's, it's not trite, it's true. And Habakkuk himself experienced this. You've got an example of a man who tasted this himself, right? Uh, so look at verse 19. He says, God, the Lord is my strength. The word there for strength is a Hebrew word, hayil, which is uh, kind of, a, it's, a, it's got a broad range. It's got, uh, it can mean strength, wealth, power, and it's often used as a metonym for uh, like armies. It's, it's potency in some sense, right? It's another unusual word, but it's intentional. Why? Because here's what Habakkuk is saying. He's saying the Babylonians may have terrifying armies, right? Like you described in, verse, in chapter one. But I have the Lord scatterer of armies. See, I may not have answers. I may not have possessions, control, security, investments, realized dreams, but you know what I do have? I have the one who has the answers. The one who, as Bailey prayed earlier, has a cattle on a thousand hills. The one in perfect, complete, unhampered control. The one who holds all things in the palm of his hand and in between whose fingers is the life and breath of every living being. I've got the one who lifts up and casts down rulers. I've got the one who is the only sure investment, the only certain source of security, the dream maker, the joy giver. I have the Lord. He's my strength. He's my wealth. He's my power. He's my protection. He's my joy. He's the Lord. He's God. And he's mine. Can you say that? That's the point Habakkuk had gotten to, right? And please remember, remember where we've been. Habakkuk, is, this isn't just some pious drivel by, by uh, you know, a prophet who wants everybody else to believe with. Hey, you know, you should, you should trust in the Lord. No, these are Habakkuk's own experiences. He had walked through confusion with the Lord over the state of things, anger at wickedness, asking God questions, wrestling with God. And this is, in some sense, wouldn't this be the last man you would think would say, hey, you want to know where my joy is? It's in the Lord. But he takes his joy in the Lord. Verse 17, I will yet rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This man hasn't pulled any punches, right? He's a very honest man. We've seen that through here. And he found his joy in the Lord. Okay. So how do we get that? Sounds good. How do we get that? And question, like what changed in Habakkuk, right? Because he's gone from angst and from confusion into joy in the Lord. What changed? Well, he had... He lived into God's story, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about this because, y'all, like, we've got to take the story that Habakkuk lived into seriously if we are going to change and find the same kind of joy that Habakkuk did, okay? So let's, let's, let's look at this. How do we get this joy? Well, let's look at the story. Here's the story. You know it, but let it soak with you. 
for a little bit, okay? We're gonna focus on the joy part of this. It starts in the beginning. Do you know the Lord made you for joy? God made you for joy. See, out of the overflow and abundance of his own joy and delight in himself, God made a world to mirror that joy. He made a delight-filled world, a place where its creatures could enjoy things. I mean, hey, why else do you think you see otters and dolphins and all manner of little young things play? God made a world for joy. That's why you see sunsets that move your hearts and, and, and food that like gets you, well, this is good stuff, right? God made a world for joy, a good place, one that would reflect his joy, a place of shalom. Now, shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, and that doesn't mean just like absence of conflict. It means everything in harmonious existence together, working and thriving as God intended it, right? Um, And that's why every human being, uh, well, so that's shalom, and joy is our response to shalom. When everything is working well, how would you respond? that feeling, that sense of joy. It's that sense of doing what we're made for, belonging, thriving, feeling like things are gonna work out, and that's why every human being intuitively knows and seeks for joy, even though none of us have actually experienced shalom. We know we were made for shalom. We know we were made for joy, and we get little tastes of it and the sorts of things that I just described earlier, right? when life feels like it's aligning, you feel joy. God made you for joy. He made you for himself. So what happened? What happened? We know the story. We rebelled. We chose, we traded in joy for control. We wanted to be the ones in charge. We didn't believe that God had our best interest in heart, so we chose to take matters into our own hands do things our way, be in control, and we broke. Became the angsty, neurotic mess that we are, right? Full of sin. And so when we broke, the world broke, and this world is now like a husk of its former self. It's haunted by, the, by shalom. It's haunted by echoes of joy, the joy that we were made for. Instead, it's filled with pain and false substitutes for joy that leave us addicted and aching and unsatisfied, craving for more. And we yearn for joy and we look for it everywhere except in the right place. So we never find it. So joy had to find us. And he did. He came for us. See, God made us for joy and he still wants you to have it made you for himself. He still wants you to have himself. Nothing was gonna get in the way. See, 600 years before Habakkuk, actually 800 years before Habakkuk, the Lord came to Habakkuk's people and he rescued them out of misery and slavery and brought them into a land brimming with joy and joy-filled prospects, a place where God could once again be at the center of life and all things rightly and joyfully relating to each other through him and relating to him, right? And then 600 years after Habakkuk, Lord came to his people again to rescue us out of our miserable slavery to ourselves and to sin, to send us into the world with joy-filled news that God had come again, that God had come to pay the price for our sins, to remake human beings and this world into a place 
where once again, the Lord is at the center and where everything will relate joyfully to him again and to each other. God, once again, at the center of life. And so that's why when Habakkuk sings, I will rejoice in God, take joy in the God of my salvation. That's, that, that's the whole of chapter three that we just walked through in the last sermon. He was singing about God walking his people through the Exodus. Habakkuk is celebrating this story, the story that joy does not give up on us and leave us in misery. He comes to us. And he calls us to give up seeking our own answers, our own possessions, our control, security, investments, dreams. He calls us to give that up and look to him. Find joy in him. All right, sounds great, right? How do you do that? Isn't that the question? So how, how do you do that? Hey, um, let me just say, if you're not a Christian, and not, not everyone is, right? Um, if you're not a Christian today, let me tell you, the first thing is to take stock of your relationship with God. If he is joy, do you have a relationship with him? right? Uh, do you submit to his claim on your life and believe it when he says, hey, you're a wreck. You can't fix yourself. I need to fix you. Do you believe that? Will you come to him? Will you give up trying to control things? Because here's the thing, if, if you choose instead to seek your own answers, your own possessions, control, security, investments, dreams, then the most you can experience out of life are just the husks of joy. And I mean that, like, as a church, we want you to experience joy. And this is where we believe you can find it. It's in God, right? So will you turn to him? Will you give yourself to the God who offers himself freely to you so that you can find joy? Now here's, here's the thing, you may be saying, well, sure, but I also know plenty of Christians who don't seem to feel joy, you're right. We've got that wrong too. Because guess what? We still look for our joy and all that list of things. So Christian, let's talk. Let's be honest. How, how do we, how do we find that joy? How do we live in the joy that the Lord has created us for? Well, think back on the story, right? Are you living in to God's story? See, we're inhabited by all these other stories, stories of like, hey, here's what success looks like, measure up. Hey, here's what security looks like, you got it. Are you paying enough for it? Hey, here's what, here's what happiness looks like. You got those relationships? You got all these things in place? Are you living into those stories? Or are you living into God's story and what he says is true about him, about you, about this world? See, God's story is radical and it's meant to shift how we think, how we approach everything in life. Do you, are, are you soaking in that? How do you do that? Well, let me just put a plug. It's so easy. Um, and I think preachers do this all the time, but it's because it's important. It's right here. Here's God's story. Are you spending time in it, right? Are you spending time soaking in the word? And y'all, it's not just on Sunday mornings listening to a sermon, but are you soaking in it by yourself? Spend time soaking in the word. All right, so 
Um, and, and here's why I say this stuff, right? Um, I think very often we tend to think of, of joy as, as a feeling. And so very, we'll often sit around and we'll be like, Lord, give me joy, but I'm not feeling it. You ever, you ever felt that? I just want joy, Lord, but I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Well, yeah, joy, joy is, you do get a feeling, but it's also practices. And joy will come through practices. So one of the practices, yeah, spend, spend time in the Lord's story, soak in the Lord's story. Uh, the other thing is live into the Lord's community, right? We see this in verse 19. It's kind of like a throwaway line for us. To the choir masters with stringed instruments, um, Habakkuk wrote this as a song, to be sung in church, to be sung in worship with all the rest of God's people. You know why? Because he, he had walked through something and he wanted other people to come be a part of that, to come know uh, what his experience had been. Y'all, live into the Lord's community. Don't do this walk alone. Don't do this walk alone. Terrible things happen psychologically and spiritually when you do life alone. And very often, joy dies by itself. God gave you the church for your good. He gave you fellowship. He gave you your small group for your good. So, so lean into that, right? Uh, come learn from other people. And hey, come experience other people's joy. And maybe their praise and their worship will lift your own hearts when you're struggling to find joy. You ever had that experience? Sitting here in worship, you're like, I don't, I don't feel like worshiping. But you listen to how God is moving among his people. You get that taste of joy again, that, that, that shift in perspective again. So a plug for your small groups, a plug for worship. Um, and then this isn't explicitly in Habakkuk, but um, it's implied. Live into the Lord's ways. So live into... Lord's story, live into his community, live into the Lord's ways, which means obey him, right? Here's the thing. If you say you're a Christian, you say you're following the Lord, and you say he is your joy, and your life is inconsistent with that, and instead you're running after your own things, and you're disobeying him and walking in your own ways, how can you expect to find joy? Right? I, just being honest. Um, but if you live with that integrity, where, you, where your stated values and the things that you say, this is this is what my heart desires, and then your life matches up with that, you are more likely to find joy. And this isn't just something, so this is actually something that uh, psychologists today, contemporary psychologists will find. Integrity is an important component of joy, but it's not just psychologists who say this, Jesus says it. Like you can look up in John 15, nine and two, he says, hey, loving him, living into his community, and obeying him are important components to find joy. Do you want joy? All right. Were you hoping for some world-changing answer? Yeah. Honestly, I, I think very often we want simple, well, simple. Uh, we kind of want the hard things. Like if you give us a long list of hard things to do to then accomplish joy, all right, we're at it. The Lord says, hey, don't forget I am joy. I am joy. And these things, living, living into my story, living into my community, living into my ways, these are the things that will give you joy. You know why? 
because I'm the one who gives you joy. Don't lose that. If you, if you do all these practices of joy without the Lord, you will be a miserable person. You've probably met those people. Folks who are very good, very religious, and utterly miserable and joyless. Don't be that person. Look for the Lord. The Lord is joy. Joy is a person. Here's the thing. Um, as, you, as you live into these practices, I think you'll find, I mean, you will find your relationship with the Lord grows. And isn't, isn't that primarily where most of us experience joy? It's less in our stuff. It's less in future and security and all that sort of stuff. The bulk of the time, when you feel joy, tends to be with another person, right? And they can drive you nuts. But often, joy is in relationship. So of course, joy is going to be found in relationship with God himself, the true relationship. So lean into that relationship, right? And again, in the best relationships, those are ones where you can be honest, where you can wrestle and you can struggle, you can have a fight, you can ask the hard questions, and then come out through that struggle on the other end, typically more joyful, more close, more, more related. That's what Habakkuk did. Friends, in his relationship with God, he struggled. He asked questions. He pushed in. Where are you in your relationship with the Lord? Is it, does it feel dead, dull, and, and like it's not going anywhere? Okay, are you struggling with the Lord? Are you bringing that angst, that anger, that hurt, that confusion to the Lord? He wants it. I want you to take this from the book of Habakkuk. If, if nothing else, in your confusion, Come to the king. Come to the Lord. He, he wants to have relationship with you. Wrestle in his presence. Habakkuk wrestled. And he asked the Lord hard questions. And through that, he grew in his trust in the Lord, which in turn increased his joy in the relationship so that he could say in the end here, verse 19, I'm secure. I trust the Lord to make me secure on my high places, on those, on those terrifying drop-offs, those sheer mountain cliffs, I trust you to keep my feet firm, to keep me secure on that high ground away from the attacking enemies. I'm not afraid. I do trust you, Lord. You are my khalil, my strength, my wealth, my power. I rejoice in you. So hey, will you bring your confusions to the Lord as we wrap this up, this series up? Will you bring him your confusion? He wants it. He wants you. He knows you've got fears. He knows you have doubts. He knows you have questions. Don't run from him. Run to him and let him lead you up the mountains, those terrifying paths with sheer drops off. Let him show you the vistas of his might and his mercy. Let him plant your feet securely where nothing can topple you. Let him be your strength, your salvation, and your joy. And in so doing, Find the joy that he made you for. Let me turn to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us a joyful people. I think when I started this sermon at the start of this week, I was hoping for something new. But the answer to joy is a very, very old thing. It's you the one who has been joy from eternity past, who will be joy for eternity present, eternity to come, rather. And I pray, Father, for each of my brothers and sisters here, 
that they would experience that more. I pray that as we, as we do the daily grind, as we do life, um, would you give them not just tastes of joy, would you root them and plant them in joy? Would they have those experiences of you being their secure rock, a place where none can touch them? I pray, God, that whatever you walk them through this week and in the weeks to come, they would know your joy. I pray this in Jesus' name, who wants this for us. Amen.